my strong, strong philosophy is that the body and the mind are one thing. You can't separate them. And when you do something powerful to the body, you do something powerful to the mind, powerful to the mind, powerful to the body. So I'm a brain geek. Can you tell? I mean, it all kind of flows together. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Sound Bombing. I created this show for people who want to experience a radical, life-changing journey through the sounds of my diverse guests. I hope that each sound you hear on this show will strengthen your faith, encourage your dreams, and challenge you to awaken the greatness within you. Drop the bomb. Drop the bomb. We're going to drop the bomb. Drop the bomb. We're going to drop the bomb. Drop the bomb. We're going to drop the bomb. Drop the bomb. This is a journey into sound. A journey which along the way will bring to you new color, new dimension, new values, and a new experience. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever the time of the day it is, you're at the right place at the right time with the right person, with the right microphone, wearing the right shirt. Ubuntu, I greet you in the words of Saubona, which means I see you. And Ubuntu also is a South African word that actually says I am because we are, I'm because I am because you are. So I'm always excited to listen to my listeners to engage my audience, to meet new people. And thank you for all of you all who are listening to the show. If you have not listened to many of the shows, you need to listen to all of them. Why? Not because I'm an amazing guy. It's because I have some amazing, amazing people that come on our show. And if you have not subscribed, what are you waiting for? We're on every platform. Click that subscribe button. Share us with all of your friends. Yes, share me with everybody because sound bombing has something for everybody. Sound and bombing, bombing is a feeling. It's an emotion, sound bombing, the sounds that we're here. So today I am so excited about this show because I'm also excited about everybody's show. This show is near and dear to me because I have screenagers. Oops, I mean to say teenagers. And I want to talk about something that is affecting all of us. Now, by some estimates, roughly 4 billion people, I said billion with a B, across the world use networking websites, platforms such as Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all of these new platforms, TikTok. They use all of these platforms. And this uses has promoted mental health experts to investigate whether The enormous popularity of social media plays a role in depression, anxiety, and loneliness. Well, recent studies referenced by the Child Mind Institute and the National Center for Health Research suggest that people who frequently use social media feel more depressed and less happy with life than those who spend more time on non-screen related activities. And additionally, Research suggests that people who limit their time on social media tend to be 
happier than those who don't. Studies also indicate that social media may trigger an array of negative symptoms in users that contribute to or worsen their depression symptoms. My next guest knows this so well because she is a transpersonal psychologist, licensed clinical social worker, educator, life coach, and author with more than 25 years of clinical experience. She seamlessly interweaves traditional ego psychology with transpersonal psychology and energy psychology, affording her patients every tool possible to achieve their goals and make their dreams a reality. Who am I talking about? I would like to introduce you and welcome you to the sound bombing community. Let's welcome my friend, Dr. Margaret Cochran, or as she goes by Dr. C. Dr. C, welcome to sound bombing. Oh, thank you for having me. (laughs) Now you got to let my listeners know where you're calling in from. And we'd like to do a wellness check, Dr. C, just to see how you are doing. Well, I am uh, near San Jose, California, mm. and we've had some lovely snow, <laughs> just a delightful time. Uh, we just got our electricity back yesterday, so I'm all excited. Well, let me tell you, Dr. C, I'm from Chicago, and I know you have roots in the Midwest. I do. Um, I don't really hear people <laughs> say some lovely snow. <laughs> <laughs> let me just say this. I Even though I grew up in Chicago, you know, I do not like the cold. But what mm. I do like is I like that first snow. It's so nice. Yes. It's so quiet. Yes. But then the next day when yeah. it gets dark and it gets ugly yeah. and it gets slushy, yeah. that's not the feeling. But you yeah. just got that newness, that fresh snow. And I'm glad that you got your electricity on so we can get a chance to engage one another. And then people thinking, let's 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 give them some geography, topography of California, because people are thinking. How is it snowing in (laughs) California? I'm looking at my cousin. He's on the beach over here. But Margaret says it's snow. Would you please explain them? Because I lived and worked in California and I serve in that area. Let them know where it snows out there. And it does snow. All right. Well, I'm just about a half hour south of San Francisco up in what's referred to as the Santa Cruz Mountains. And that's where we got snow. Um, Yeah. We also got snow at Tahoe, too, the skiing area. A lot of people are familiar with that. Uh, there's still some people kind of snowed in there, haven't quite dug everybody out yet. But it was really, it was comical because no one was hurt. But we have one snowplow in our county because we don't get snow very much. And the little snowplow went out to do its thing, and it dumped over in the snow. It couldn't go anymore. Somebody had to save the snowplow. Like, yes, how does a tow yes. truck need a tow truck to be towed to tow some other people? It's tricky. So I've seen the snow-capped mountains in California. I've mm-hmm. seen the deserts and the beaches. I mean, you all get everything. Uh, but I think what's happening there is I'm on the East Coast. You're on the West Coast. Maybe you all are getting the weather that we typically get because we have not seen any snow my friend who's visiting from florida you would you would laugh at this she's <laughs> visiting maryland from florida and she was like oh yeah my sisters came in town from florida and it started to snow i was like girl that was dandruff that was not snow that was somebody that was da- that was not and they were out there taking pictures you should have seen her granddaughters you know oh. see this little this little snow person that her granddaughter i was like Aww. if you don't knock that little thing down so you <laughs> and i know being from the midwest midwest we know what snow means, but oh, again, yeah. enjoy it 
while you are, but thank you for joining me. You know, I'm so excited and honored that you join me today. I've read oh. so much about you. I've watched your interviews. You've done a lot of TV in California, written books and traveled and lectured on a, on a bunch of issues. But one of the reasons that we want to bring you on here is not only just for teenagers, you know, I think when people, you know, I do have teens and mm. I call them screen agents because they spend so much time looking at those screens. It's a perfect title. It's a perfect time. But then also we need to come up with one for adults because adults are also doing the same thing. So I, my people that are listening, I don't want you to think that today's show is only about young people. OK, because, again, we know the social media affects all of us. I first, Dr. C, I first heard Facebook depression when I was listening to a guy named Jim Quick. I don't know if you know who Jim Quick is. Jim Quick uh, has appeared on tons of TV, radio, media. Mm -hmm. I got a chance to hear him speak on uh, Tom Bilyeu's show, uh, which is called Impact Theory. And he was talking mm -hmm. about wellness. And I spent a lot of time in the wellness space because mm -hmm. I want to encourage people like you and I who are constantly pouring into individuals to really take care of themselves. One of my next books, one of my my, my book that I'm working on right now is called Self-Care for Those Who Care for Others. And so this today's subject is not topic is not just for the young people or the adults or the old people who want to be young. It is for all of us, but let's just unpack the word depression first. Before we get into social media depression, let my listeners know the, def the definition of depression. Okay. Well, uh, depression is a disorder, a disease where um, your reality testing, your ability to look at the world in a realistic way is impacted, uh, your energy level for life, your sex drive, your appetite, your sleep, pretty much everything that, that we count on day to day is negatively impacted by depression. And sometimes we have what's called a situational depression where something has happened to us that's impacted us negatively and we go to a very, very dark space about it. Sometimes we have postpartum depression. Sometimes we have post-operative depression. Uh, and sometimes we have um, straight-up clinical depression, which is what most people are familiar with. Unfortunately, that word kind of gets thrown around uh, to describe things that aren't really depression. Now, you just said post-operative depression. I want to yes. park right there. I I've never heard that. Explain to me what that actually means. Sure. Well, one of the things I do is I do hypnotic um, anesthesia in the OR. And um, sometimes when people experience trauma in their bodies, even if it's good trauma to save their lives or, you know, whatever, um, they, a few days afterwards, 72 hours to three, four days, all of a sudden they get blue and they feel sad. And, and they wonder, you know, am I going to be okay? Is, you know, is this going to work for me? And when my, my, my strong, strong philosophy is that the body and the mind are one thing. You can't separate them. And when you do something powerful to the body, you do something powerful to the mind, powerful to the mind, powerful to the body. So I'm a brain geek. Can you tell? I mean, it all kind of flows together. Uh, but, you know, commenting on your, what you said earlier, I, I want to say to you, absolutely, you're so right. It's not just about teens. It is about adults. It's about older folks. It's about all of us. There is no us and them. There's only us. And we're all in this together. I love that there's no uh, this, this only us. So I work with young people. I work with adults to work with young people. I have young people that are in my space, my home. Uh, and what I do know is that I've and, and I'm waiting for the data. I put my research hat on now the data to manifest of what COVID has done to us 
as individuals. Um, can you unpack that just a little bit in your practice, what you are seeing the effects of COVID right now that's having on us as a, as a community of people? Yes. Um, for young ones, they're having a terrible time in school, especially kids who started their pre-K or kindergarten during the pandemic. Um, they're missing social skills. It's difficult for them to sit down and concentrate and listen. Um, they have trouble with conflict resolution because they've been isolated for so long. They don't know how to do that back and forth. For older folks, uh, a lot of us have sort of forgotten how to do it, quote unquote. You know, we have to kind of, oh yeah, this is how you, this is how you do social gatherings. This is how you connect with people. Uh, a lot of people have shut down emotionally and they have to remember, oh yeah, I have to share myself in order to receive sharing from others. It's really coming back to ourselves is, is what this post pandemic time is about. Well, what happened quite a bit during what happened that I, I noticed a lot. When dealing with uh, COVID of isolating ourselves, many of us turn to social media. Many of us yes. turned on our phones. We yes. turned on uh, our televisions. We've turned on each other. Uh, and we're starting to see an increase of what I said when Jim Quick said this, not only to me, he said it to millions of people. And he talked about this concept of Facebook depression. And I remember Tom Bill, you said, what are you talking about? So, Dr. C, how does social media impact depression? Well, and and to kind of piggyback on what you said, not only have we turned to social media, but we've also turned to social media in combination with substances mm. like alcohol, like THC and other less legal things. <laughs> and as a result of that, it's complicated the issue quite a bit because we've made those two associations. Now we have to split them apart again. And uh, people are are often very confused and they have rituals now. Okay, I do this, I smoke a joint, I do this, I drink a bunch, you know, whatever. And that's become their social life. And that's where they're comfortable. So moving past that is the tricky part, getting out of what has become our new comfort zone. Because, you know, um, you alluded earlier to how many people in the world, I think it's um, uh, like six Six point, let's see if I got the number here. Yeah, 4.62 billion people use social media across the world, and about 77% of Americans do. Now, there's good news and bad news to that. Social media can connect people, it can promote causes, um, it can uh, help people who have various kinds of disabilities that might isolate them. Uh, it has certainly allowed us to do medicine and psychology, even when we couldn't physically connect with one another. So there's some positives to it. Absolutely. And entertainment, which is very important, of course. But the downside is it can be isolating. And um, the big one, especially for young people, is comparison. Even though they know and and we've got we've got research that backs this up even though you tell someone okay those images you're seeing are curated images they are not real that is not a real person they've been stretched and pinched and sliced off you know and yet even knowing that people still go through the process of well how do i measure up do you know this even in infected if you will affected infected the dog training world I know. I have two therapy dogs, so I do a lot of you know training with them. And um, I have some dog trainers that I work with and also some that are patients. And they get calls all the time. Well, my dog doesn't look like the dog on YouTube. My dog doesn't act like the dog on Instagram. You know, 
And they have to keep saying, look, those are curated images. That's one slice of a good dog. You're not seeing all the rest of, you know, what's going on. So this is a serious, serious problem because it does a number on our self-esteem. It tends to fill us with self-doubt, self-loathing, uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of self-recrimination. What's wrong with me? Why I can't look like that? Why can't I be like that? Why can't I have that life? Well, I read a study, um, that said that social media may affect girls mental health earlier than boys. What are your thoughts about that piece? And I know that there's been tons of research on, and I know Instagram took a beating about how girls yeah. and women were viewed uh, as a, as a dad of two girls. I love my daughters and I love mm -hmm. my son. Um, do you think that social media has a different effect on them, the girls Absolutely. than the boys? And if so, Absolutely. why? Yeah. Well, girls are socialized in our culture to be very body conscious. Even without social media, they're always worrying, am I wearing the right thing? Do you know I do I look right? And with social media, it's only exacerbated that to, you know, well, what's what's my waist look like? You know, what what's what's my face look like? Are the angles right? Um, are my eyes right? And we're seeing more and more young women go in for plastic surgery than ever before. I know. And I was told that girls are getting their, their 18th birthday, nose jobs, boob jobs, you know, buttocks. You know, this is like a birthday gift for them to change their 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 body type. And in some cases, sadly, before 18 mm. with parental consent. So what does that say about the parents, though, who are consenting to augment their child's body parts just to is it to fit in or maybe not to fit in like what is it well people uh, with all the social media that we have um, become obsessed with optics and when you have a child who is begging for uh, some way to change their body other than you know change a different outfit or something like that change their hair maybe but physically alter their appearance in a dramatic way. And a parent says, sure, that's fine. I'll pay multiple thousands of dollars for you to do that. They're saying to that child, yeah, you know what? You're all about what you look like. And there's not a whole lot else that's that important about you. And it's, it's a stake in the heart. And I see those people later in life. I see their pain. I see their frustration. I see their uncertainty about themselves. Am I my nose job? Am I my breasts? Am I my butt lift? You know, what am I? What is, what do I really bring to the party? And what you bring to the party is who you are, not what you do or how you look. You know, there's an artist who uh, is from Colorado. I love her. Got a chance to meet her just in passing. Don't know her personally, but I use her, her music a lot. Her name is Indy Irie. And I remember when she came out, she wrote a song called I Am Not My Hair. And, yeah. you know, in all cultures, I think women of in my community, we think it's just women of color who have issues with hair. I've read so oh, no. many studies and books. Yeah, I know. I <laughs> definitely know that. Um, I've ran summer camps, you know, for different communities of people. But hair plays a role in that. And so when she wrote that song as a male, it made me think of things differently because, again, I'm looking at the world through my male lens. And so sure. I'm attempting to be more mindful of that, but I want to, I want to go back. So the song, I'm not, my hair really inspired a group of, I know black and Brown girls. I don't know other girls that affected, but I played it for other kids and it really made them think about themselves. But I want to go back to something that you said about the parents uh, who's actually paying for these things because I'm a parent 
And as a parent, you don't want to let your child down. You know, as a parent, of course, say we want the best for our children. And the best means anything that's not going to allow my daughter or son to be teased, anything that's going to uh, take away from the attention, the negative attention he or she may be giving. Talk. To, what message do you have for those parents who feel obligated, who feel that their back is up against a wall, whose ch- child is pressuring them and social media is also pressuring not only just the child, but also pressuring the parent because you're seeing these images of mom and dad dropping the daughter off or the son off. Because again, we talk about body images, it affects boys as well. And I know the numbers sure. are higher, but what message do you have for the mom and dad or the uh, or the grandmother, grandfather, or aunt, uncle who may be raising this child who says, I want to do these things? Well, the message is this. When you sign up to be a parent, you sign up to have boundaries and you sign up to realize that your kids aren't always going to like them. And most importantly, what you sign up for is how to teach them to be resourceful because every problem is not solved by plastic surgery. There are always going to be haters out there. There are always going to be people who um, are us and them versus us, right? And and they're divisive and they're hurtful and they're negative. And you can't fix that with a nose job. It comes, it's intrinsic, not extrinsic. And one of the things I talk to people about more than any other is that we make our lives. We make this world. We do it in our imagination. And as we create that, we create the external world from that place. It's not the other way around. Now, there are a lot of people who make a lot of money trying to convince you, oh, I'm going to get a hold of your limbic system, which is what's in charge of your emotion. And once I've got your limbic system in my palm of my hand, you belong to me. So let's take it back, shall we? Let's remind ourselves, hey, my amygdala belongs to me, okay? I'm going <laughs> to hook that sucker up with my prefrontal cortex, and I'm going to make my own decisions about who I am and how I live my life. So I hear what you say, but you and I also know that there's such, there's this huge addiction to the perfect whatever. Yes. yes, yes. And so I want to talk about the dark hole that we typically go down, the dark hole of scrolling through Ugh. things. Yes. Why is scrolling so addictive? And then what is one looking for? when they are scrolling through social media or scrolling through the through, internet. Scrolling through life. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> here's the thing. The brain can become addicted to anything. I love brain be- talk. Go on. <laughs> it's sexy to me. You, you, I love brain talk. That's the nerve in me. I love brain talk. I do too. Um, anything that produces dopamine in the brain can produce pleasure and addiction. And so when we're scrolling, we what happens, especially one of the things, one of the, the tricks that social media uses is see that whole like and subscribe and all that jazz they do. And so uh, people are constantly checking, oh, how many followers do I have? I had a kid come to me in tears and he said, I don't have any friends. And I said, oh, well, tell me more about that. And he said, I only have 500 followers. Okay, sweetie, the, those aren't friends. Those are just people who clicked a button. You know, they don't know you. But to him, that was the social world. And he was devastated because he had some friend who had a thousand followers. And so he felt like a failure. 
Okay, so we get dopamine from those numbers. We get dopamine from those clicks. And pretty soon we go from use to abuse to addiction where I got to have those clicks. I got to have that dopamine to feel normal. So I'll do anything to get it, which means I'm looking at my phone during dinner with you. I'm looking at my phone um, every five minutes or so at work. I can't sleep without my phone. And by the way, uh, devices very much interfere with sleep in a negative way. Yeah, I typically put my device in a drawer. I know some people put them in different rooms. I know other people uh, get upset when my phone is off. I'm like, I pay this bill. I control this. We have to sort of set boundaries. Um, And so again, those devices, when I go into my kid's room and I see that he or she is cuddling this device, you know, it's mm-hmm. like TV. They know in our space, we don't have TVs in our bedrooms. My my children didn't grow up with TVs in their bedroom. They had to literally go to another space. Good and so it's a, it's a choice that we make and I'm seeing the benefits of it. Um, but when I go back to the whole dope, dopamine piece, because I remember going to speak to a group of students and I call them dope fiends. You know, mm-hmm. dope fiend is a, is a term that you hear in the community of people who are addicted to legal and or legal drug. And I said, you know, you want to, you, when you don't feel like that you're getting a fix, looking at your phone is that, is that dopamine? Is that hit? I need to get another hit. I need to get another hit. Yes. Instead of being attention, instead of bringing your attention and your awareness to the present space, because again, we're used to, we've gotten so trained that even when we post something, you post something in social media and you forget, you try to go back and change it. It's already gone. And so the world that we're living in is moving really so fast. And so we know we're not going to win that battle, Dr. C, but, uh, you know, when it comes to um, fighting against social media, but I want to talk about what is a healthy screen time per day, not only just for for young people, but for adults. Talk to us and then maybe talk to if you know some of the devices that we can use to hack our phone and our lives to sort of keep us away from touching the device all the time. Well, that's a good one. Um, And let me see. There's a study done on undergraduates. and uh, and that's what we use. Undergraduates, God love them. They're they're so good for studies. We we, we work with them all the time. <laughs> I've been studying it- my undergrads, my two daughters for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> well, in science, what we do without undergraduates, right? But uh, the study was done where a, a class was going to take a test, and they split the class in half randomly, and half the kids got to keep their phone on their desk turned over. Okay. Uh, with the notifications turned off. The other half of the class had to go in another room and they took their phones away altogether. And to a person, the people who had their phones taken away got higher scores on their test than the people who had the phone on the desk turned off. That's how much of a distraction it is. Wow. Yeah, it's it's, powerful stuff. It's just this looking, I see it on my desk, so there's a possibility that I may want to touch it. There you go. You know, I may want to sort of move it. So let's talk about screen time. You know, help me with this. Is is there a is there a healthy screen time per day um, that we should focus on as individuals? Well, to some degree, we're glued to our screens often for work. It's that it's that sluicing over to social media part that we need to be aware of, and it's perfectly reasonable to check your social media two or three times a day. Part of what's difficult, though, is that we have this sense of immediacy, you know, like you didn't answer my text in 2.3 seconds. I mean, what's wrong? Are you mad at me? Now, I have that issue with my children because what's interesting, Dr. C, I'll send not all three of them, 
but I'll send it and I won't mention, I won't mention names. I need to protect the innocent and the guilty. <laughs> um, I'll send them a text message and they won't respond. All right. Immediately. Yep. But I'll watch them. A, a, one of their peers, friends send them a text message. And it's like an immediate. Now the difference yep. between the friend and me, I'm paying the dog on bill. Let's be very <laughs> clear. I don't know what the friend is paying, but whatever he or she is paying or doing to get my child to respond quickly. But again, we want that immediate, immediate response. And yes. in the world that we live in, that's been created, our young people and adults, because I think, I think a lot of times we put a lot of pressure on young people. And I know even though the study you talked about was undergrad, adults also want that immediate gratification. Oh, yeah. And they don't get it. Or when we don't, let me remove it. Let me say not they, when we don't get it, because I know I fall in this category, then I sort of feel like a failure. And I say failure is a bad thing. That's a whole nother conversation about the word, the use of the word failure. But I feel like I should get it when I want it immediately. Yeah. And that's such childish behavior. When you look at a little kid who's in Target, I saw this a couple of days ago, two years old, warning, warning, warning. You would think as we get older that our mind would shift but because of the bombardment of ads and media and scrolling, we think when we look at when we look at things in real time, real time is TV. OK, real mm-hmm. time is real time is movies that they get exactly what they want looking at reality TV shows. And so what can we do to sort of shift that thinking? Because I believe I, when I said it is sexy talking about brain activity what are some brain hacks that we can do right now to sort of to sort of shift that well first of all i want to offer you some comfort as a parent let's just gently shift over does it get better it does i swear (laughs) let's shift gently over to developmental psychology for a moment and there we go and know that if you think about concentric circles one circle inside another when children are little the center of their circle is their parents until they get to be until they hit puberty 11 or 12-ish kind of time. And then their peers are in the center of the circle and the adults are on the outside. So it's not just you, your kids still love you and they'll come back when they're 25. I promise. <laughs> I promise. When the, That's when your brain is is fundamentally done growing. Nothing doesn't grow and change. It's very neuroplastic. It keeps going. But for the big stuff, pretty much at 25, you are who you're going to be. And all of a sudden your kids say things like, dad, remember when you did this and that? I get it now. Thank you for doing it. I'm so grateful. So it's interesting you say that my friend, shout out to Dr. Lauren, uh, who's a professor at the University of Maryland, University of Maryland, Baltimore County, who is a psychologist. Her daughter sent her a text message and she shared it with her friend group. I'm a part of that. And it was almost like this all like she finally got it. Yes. Yes. (laughs) She finally got it. (laughs) So there's hope. I swear there's hope. Okay. Now, what can we do? Number of different things. And, and, uh, the, the tricky part is like any addictive behavior, it can be challenging to shift from that instant gratification to something that takes a little longer. But you know what helps a lot? Starting a gratitude practice. You can rewire your brain in about 21 to 28 days doing one of those. So, you know, if you don't know, I just did a 20 in honor of Black History Month. Black History Month has 28 Uh days in honor of Black History Month in February. I challenge myself and my followers to do 28 days of gratitude. And every day in the car, yes. driving my 16-year-old, my 15-year-old son to school, yeah. I would ask him, what are you grateful for? Now it's Women History Month, so I ask him about women. But it was that gratitude piece is really, really important. Um, but you also mentioned 
when you said it, you know, addictive addiction, do we realize that we are addicted? Do we realize that we are users? Do we realize that we need help? Do we realize that help is out there? Because saying someone is addicted to social media to them is like, like I've worked in the addiction community. I'm sure you've as well. Yes. It's like, yes. no, I'm not addicted to that. Yeah. I can stop at any moment. I love that line. Well, um, and they can for five minutes and then they're <laughs> back on it. Well, it depends on your level of three particular defenses, rationalization, minimization, and denial. It depends on how deep in you are with those three. If it's, you know, if you're, if you're kind of on the cusp of it, something can happen and it'll snap you out and you realize, oh my gosh, you know, I haven't put this phone down all day. It's been in my hand constantly. Even though it's uh, hot. And it's on fire. <laughs> yep. Yep. I've, I've attenuated myself to that. Mm -hmm. I don't even notice it anymore. Um, but as you get deeper in, then you get a, a lot more of the rationalization and the denial. Well, you do the same thing. Well, how dare you say that to me? Because you do da da da. Right. So isn't that uh, interesting? Like I would have never, let me unpack that. I would have never said that to my mother. Like it is so interesting. I would have never said that to my grandmother, my grandfather, that, pointing out your flaws as an adult mm -hmm. and as a young person, I'm justified for saying that I would, I just, and I've said that to my children time and time again, I would have never said those things. And people say it's a different time. No, it is a different time, but there still needs to be some level of respect and honor that we have Absolutely. for our parents that we, I'm I would never say that. I, and I have a friend who shared the same thing with me about, you know, one of her children. How, you know, you said you don't have money, but you just bought yourself some shoes. I would have never, first of all, I would have been, we would not have this show right now because <laughs> yeah. I would not have survived that. Yeah. But continue. Yeah. Well, but that's important because parents need to know how to respond to situations like that. Now, adolescents for time immemorial know how to use distraction technique, don't they? Right. It's like um, the Wizard of Oz. If you remember that movie where the, the the magnificent Oz was big and making a whole lot of noise and then Toto goes and pulls back the curtain and yes. he says, pay no attention to the little man. Yeah, well, pay attention to the little man. OK, so when your adolescent says to you, you've ruined my life or I I'll never be able to show myself. Da, da, da. You just smile and you say, nice try. I love you, but you still can't fill in the blank, you know, and you you don't get defensive. You don't take it on. You don't make it a thing. You dismiss it and you stop it. And it stops. Yeah. And it stops. I want to, I want to share something with you. Um, simple. Since we're talking about strategies, uh, James Robert, Dr. James Robert wrote a book um, about a, uh, the book was entitled too much of a good thing. Mm. Are you addicted to your smartphone? And according to Roberts, social media addiction shares six key features with other behavior addiction. I want to read them to you. So he suggests six questions can uncover. Listen to me. Come close, people. Six questions can uncover these features and identify social media addiction. Here they are. Salience. Is social media use heavily integrated into your daily routine? Tolerance. Do you find yourself spending progressively more time on social media to get the same satisfaction. Euphoria. Do you rely on social media as a source of excitement or to cope with boredom or loneliness? Yes. Withdrawal. Do you feel a need to use social media and feel edgy or anxious when you cannot? Relapse. 
Do attempts to quit or reduce social media use fail? And finally, conflict. Does social media cause problems in your life or conflicts with the loved ones? Those mm-hmm. are those are yeah. six questions um, that Dr. Uh, Roberts actually wrote, James Roberts, a uh, uh, professor. Who wrote, what are your thoughts about those six questions to uncover media addiction? Well, those are actually classic questions that we use in covering any addiction. It's it's not what you use or even how much you use it per se. It's the effect it's having on your life. You know, is it shutting yourself off from yourself? Have you stopped being creative? Have you lost your hobbies? Have you alienated yourself from your friends and family? Do you feel like the only way I can have peace is the only thing that's fun? You know, you you really know it's bad when you realize you're coming to the end of the workday and you can just go home and be on your phone and your tablet. And there are people who think like that. And we see children struggling and adults too. Um, a lot of people have come out of COVID where they were using social media a lot and they realize that their attention spans trashed. They can't focus for beans. So they really, you really need to get back on that track again and, and practice focusing and concentrating. But again, that's where, um, uh, the gratitude practice comes in. Uh, I have a system called, uh, urban gorilla meditation that I teach, uh, where now you're meditating with some gorillas that are in the urban community. Oh yeah. <laughs> Trust me. I am. <laughs> and I love meditation. That is um, my saving grace. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing and excellent for pretty much everything that ails you. And um, what is that process like? Well, in, in my, and there are a lot of different ways to do it. I mean, there's no absolute way, right. But in my particular process, what I have the person do is sit down and I use, I, I like the falling leaf technique where you see yourself in, in a beautiful park-like setting and there are deciduous trees and it's fall and the leaves are coming off and they're kind of just floating to the ground and you just follow the leaves down, follow them down all the way to the ground. Then you pick another leaf and you follow the leaf down and you, and you keep working at that and it takes time to, to build it. Um, I mean, the first time you do it, you may get maybe one or maybe five leaves, you know, but you, you build up to 50. That's what you're hoping for. Okay. And then you're in a pretty good place in terms of, because again, remember, as we talked about earlier in the show, it's about us getting control of our limbic system, our emotional center back. Okay. So then uh, the second part is um, uh, thinking about, you know, what do you want? What do you want your life to look like? Not what someone else tells you it needs to look like, not what someone else says is right. It's what is right for you. And you begin to see that in your mind's eye. You see that world. You see that life. You see that perfect day. And then you're ready to go. And more and more, what what begins to happen is more and more when you focus on what you want, you find what you want. When you're focused on what you don't want, you find what you do. We could do a whole show on this one, but <laughs> it's, it's, it's about that, um, that attenuation. Again, that focus, that attention. You know, there's a, a great study that was done where they had people identify, self-identify as uh, lucky and not lucky. And they had them walk through a little park area. And then the investigators at the end, you know, asked them how their walk through the park was. Well, unbeknownst to the participants, the investigators have seeded the park with $20 bills, just stuck them in various places. 
to a person, the folks who label themselves unlucky came out and said, yeah, it was a nice park. I mean, nothing special, but it's a nice park. The people that label themselves lucky said, well, it was a nice park. I mean, nothing special, but I found 60 bucks. Is this yours or can I keep it? You know, yeah, you can keep it. They were expecting good things. They're looking for good things. Social media does not train us to think that way. Again, it trains us not to be intrinsic, but extrinsic. You can only be happy if you have my car, my perfume, my soap, my outfit, my whatever. Not that you could just be happy with who you are and what you have to give to the world, which is a lot. Well, we're going to end it right there. Dr. C, Dr. Mar Margaret Cochran, you have shared some jewels, not only with my audience, but with me. I tell people I created the show because I'm so selfish and I want to bring these people into my space and really pour into me. So you definitely poured in me today. Before you leave, um, how can my listeners get in contact with you if they want to hear more about you, look at some of your interviews, work with you as one of your clients? What's the best way to reach you? Uh, you can find me at um, drcochran.com, D-R-Cochran, C-O-C-H-R-A-N.com. Now, you can't leave because the second part of the show is called the Super Bomb Questions, and you did an amazing job for part one. But uh -oh. the difference between <laughs> this part is you're going to answer the questions in a rapid fire way. Okay. All right. So are All you ready? Right. This is the lightning round, huh? Lightning round. And All right. here we go. What is your favorite word? Love. What's your favorite quote or scripture to a verse or a favorite song? Um, we, there is no us and them, only us. What's your superpower? Empathy. What's your spirit animal? Bear. What moves you to tears of joy? People. What moves you to tears of sorrow? People. What do you wish you had more time to do? Um, spread empathy across the world. It is my mission. What is the book or books you've given most as a gift and why? Uh, the book called What Dreams May Come. The reason for that one is it's a book about, it's, it's a fantasy about what it means to leave this life and go beyond it. And the belief systems that we have that keep us trapped and stuck in bad places. What advice are you glad you ignored? Oh, <laughs> that's a good one. Uh, you can't possibly succeed. What's a ritual you do that helps you connect with your inner, inner power? Uh, Gratitude practice and meditation. If you were in the Mrs. America talent competition, Dr. C, what would your talent be? <laughs> what a question. I would say probably talking about neuroscience. Final question. What's your favorite sound? My favorite sound, I think the human heart. Well, thank you for sharing your heart with my listeners and and thank you for sharing your heart with me it has been a pleasure go and check out dr c dr cochran has some amazing information check her out on all social media platforms and definitely definitely stay off that social media don't become addicted to it i'm telling you take some time away dr c thanks for hanging out with me thank you so much for having me and i want to thank my engineers and my producer and supremacy for our theme music and all of you for listening, make sure you subscribe, leave a comment and stop being stingy and share me with all of your friends. 
If you want to know about more about me and where I'm going to be speaking or traveling or engaging people, you can go to drdrlds.com. And as always, believe that something wonderful is about to happen and that some people miss the message because they're too busy looking for the mess. Not you, because you've been listening to Sound Bombing. Take care. Peace.